0: Welcome to episode 27 of Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and with me as always is Matt Leach. Hey Matt.
1: Hey man, how are you? I'm
0: good, I'm good. Who do we have this time?
1: Well, hold on, before we get there, big question to ask you. Oh yeah. Have you seen Star Wars yet?
0: No. (laughs) You what? You haven't seen it? I haven't, I know.
1: Oh man, I'm actually thinking about seeing it again.
0: My little brother's seen it twice. Really? He saw, I, it, I, he saw it twice within the first two days it came out, and I said, "So it's," and he went, "I'm not saying anything." <laughs> <laughs> he knows that he could ruin it for me, so it,
1: it is a little bit like that. I've got um, I've got two little girls here who are fighting over who gets to be Rey, and, um, oh, and right. for me, what's interesting is that they used to fight over who who got to be Princess Leia, but but neither of them want to be her now because she's too old.
0: Of course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. All right. Okay, where, where were we? So who, who did we actually talk to? So we talked to Chris McLean in this episode. Uh, so Chris probably is he's, he's quite a name in the Sydney industry. Uh, he spent sort of seven years at uh, the CD Roller Interbrand. And about six months ago, he moved over to one of their competitors, Re. Uh, and I think what really came out of that, I mean, I'd be interested to hear what you really enjoyed, but I think what I really enjoyed with this particular conversation was you know, if you think about Interbrand, you know one of their really big clients is Telstra, yeah. And then you think about Re, and one of their big clients is Optus. And I think Chris is obviously going to be very instrumental. Where well, he's very instrumental in the Telstra one, and we spent a bit of time talking about that. And he's um, he clearly couldn't say too much, but he's going to be very instrumental in the Optus um, yeah, Optus job as well. So it'd be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple of months.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite interesting because you know before. For either of these two had these kind of kind of big refreshing brand changes, they were all more or less boring as hell, yeah, and yeah, they exactly. both became actually interesting. We also talked about the um kind of this this resurgence or i don't know um, popularity of kind of um, moving brands and um, sort of animating and using video and
1: um, um, motion yeah motion. It, it- his, I mean, what I found really interesting there was just how hard it is for agencies and studios to find someone who can do that kind of work. Yeah. I mean, he he, you know, he mentioned some good friends of ours, Mike and Ian, and um, you know, and, and outside of that, there's really not that many people. Yeah. yeah. And just because that they're all interested in doing, you know, bigger stuff, the kind of an- animation for films or, you know, th- that whole stuff, and so it's it's actually it's a whole area where we need more people doing that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, it was it was interesting to hear that that was kind of like a, an area that they, they really needed, but yeah.
1: Cool. Well, I hope you guys enjoy. Enjoy. I want to hear about the moleskins. So there's there's a picture when you left Interbrand that showed a mountain of moleskins.
2: Mm-hmm. 16 of them. Was it, right? Yeah. <laughs> In how many years was that? Seven. Seven years Yeah, so...
3: I um, do you know what I st- completely stole it off Michael Beirut from from Pentagram <laughs> yeah I saw him he did that It's like you know like um, his entire design career in moleskins the same moleskins stacked <laughs> on top of each other and I um, I was a bit gutted actually that I was five years into my design career already and I uh, Hadn't thought about this, but when I got to Interbrand, I, I started with that. Um, so it's 16 of those, and then it's two of these bloody annoying red Interbrand ones that they gave us as well. So All <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> it just ruins the whole thing if so I just ignore those. Um, didn't quite, so, didn't
2: quite suit the photographic aesthetic. Yeah.
3: No, not really. Oh, it's such a shame, but um, but I stuck with the black one as well. And like, mm. I'm a big Evernote user, and they've got Evernote moleskins but I resist the temptation to buy those because they're covered <laughs> in Evernote graphics, which like, just ruins the sort of Hemingway mystique that moleskins have, I think. Mm. Um, but I actually, um, you know, I pulled them out the other day and they're not numbered or anything, but you can just pick one up and then you can flick through some of the pages and actually trace back mm. to where an idea started. So I, right. do, I do all of my work in these things. And you might yeah. even say that um, that's my main app, if you like. Right. I use that and Keynote and Evernote um, and, and not so much the Creative Suite anymore. Um, That's not by any sort of design, I suppose, but just this is where I think through ideas it's where I, I write and I ramble and I draw I draw this kind of peculiar square pattern I might be able to show you actually mm. like the, show you some of this actually so this thing here just keeps kind of for the benefit of a podcast this, yeah. a of, this, um, <laughs> yeah. this little motif here is just what I draw I think it's it's kind of built into my brain and I'll it, see is, it when
1: I'm dead it's kind of like that Seinfeld episode with the triangles with the man Drew okay I'm the only one who watched Seinfeld
3: <laughs> but, um, but yeah I wonder what what the meaning is behind oh, that? There's, there's a guy here, actually, um, Tom, who he, his little doodle is, is arrows, and when he's, right. when he's drawing arrows, they kind of gravitate towards the problem maker in the room. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, if you, <laughs> so if they're pointing at you, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, oh, right. yeah. you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, but so,
3: I, I love these things. I carry it around everywhere. That and my iPad.
1: Mm. Yeah. So I'd, I want to go back to, but why Moleskines? Why, why not just any other notepad? Well, because of the history, I suppose. You know, There's the the a little
3: leaflet in the back yeah, yeah. Picasso used it and Hemingway used it, and now I use it. So, so we're going we're to see, and Chris McLean Mac- yeah, one to day. on a little piece of paper. <laughs> I, I, have <laughs> I have several. I the photographs of the books. And <laughs> <laughs>
2: I've got a whole bunch of them, and I'm just too petrified to put ink on the paper because they're too pretty. I, I remember talking to James Jean once, and he only uses moleskins
1: as well, uh, and his whole point is that that nervousness that he feels to start doing on a mole because he thinks, oh, it's nice, it's they're expensive, and yeah, probably not for him now, mm. but it, it made him go through a certain fear that always he felt like it, it was going to make his work better to right. sort of be forced through that fear because a
3: complete opposite of that that yeah. <laughs> doesn't actually put any pen to paper yeah
1: Yeah. i want to go back to so you said you know not so much on the adobe cc anymore Mm -hmm. is that because of your position or is that because the job's changing
3: yeah i mean i i love designing i do um i just don't doesn't seem to fit my schedule so much like design (laughs) design, (laughs) design for me is 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 the pleasure in it is um is less so much about the craft and more about the big idea and the feeling and like in, in branding like it, there, it is nebulous you know there is so there are so many problems that need cracking that that me sitting down to a design is just not time well spent I, I suppose like yeah it's a peculiar one that I do often wrestle with because sometimes I'm just like I just want to I just want to sit down and design something you know like just yeah, a nice glass of red wine out and, and, and design <laughs> but um. But, be, but I've got better people than me at design here, You know, I make sure I hire fantastic graphic designers, motion designers, although I you know, need some of those in a minute, uh, writers, you know, the whole the whole gamut of disciplines and I, I, I kind of see that my job there is to be the, the conductor of all those people and not necessarily the cellist anymore. Um, but, um, but that's not to say that I don't get on the tools from time to
1: time and, and play around with some stuff. And you've been doing in that sort of position for a long time now. Was that a hard transition for you to make, to kind of hand it over to people? I think that anyone that goes from a, a senior designer into a DD or CD
3: role experiences that. As soon as you've got to hand over work to someone else to do, that's a very unnatural thing because I don't think you understand how you design you have to kind of take a magnifying glass to it and mm, yeah. and analyze like how do i how do i think about things um, and then for then to try and explain that to someone else about how they should think about things is very difficult so you end up naturally just when they fail at that you say I'll, you know give it back i'll take that mm. but that's not good for anyone really because you've hired those people to do the job and you should be teaching them so yeah i think any anyone in that role kind of goes through that hard transition um, because you, um, you naturally don't know how you design and you want to do it yourself.
2: As well as if, you know, it's almost like they're different, completely different skill sets. It's like if you get to a certain point because you're a designer, you're a doer, you're a problem solver, right? You get, get things done on deadline, people like to work with you, you're reliable, all those things. And then suddenly your job is to, as you said, conduct other people to be the doers mm. and do the, almost the opposite, like completely step back and it's stuff that you don't really learn in design school, right? Yeah, absolutely.
3: And dealing dealing with that discomfort is, yeah, I, I, I don't know if anyone quite resolves it because, you know, sometimes you'll look at some work from a designer and you'll go, I wouldn't have done it that way. And you know, maybe I should should jump in here and sort of recalibrate it or, or maybe I need to look at things differently as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, you're right. You like no one ever teaches you. I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, where's the book on how to be a creative director? That doesn't exist. some <laughs> <If> someone <could laughs> yeah. lots about being a you graphic know, designer, could, could, you know, you, you're obviously not going to get trained doing a a bachelor degree at university in graphic design. Mm-hmm. How to be a creative director? There's so many dimensions to it. From you know, like no, but, well, very rarely a client is briefing you to great creative work they're briefing you to solve their problem yeah and then you've got to bridge this business world with this studio world you've got to keep your designers happy you've got to keep your clients happy you've got to keep yourself happy you've got to keep brand new happy you've got to keep you know the internet at large happy um, and um, and you've, you're only as good as your as your last job I suppose so you've got to keep, keep yourself happy um, and um, yeah like solving business problems is very different to um, to solving you know, graphic design problems. I have to be honest with you, like I've, I've, I've been doing, well, I've been creative directing for eight years now, I think it is, and I still sit in some of these client meetings and wonder what the hell is pe- are people talking about. <laughs> I, I honestly, it's, it <laughs> you have to be the guy in the room that says, can I be the guy in the room? You know, like, that's gonna ask the stupid questions. Like, what is that an mm. acronym you're using? I remember back, uh, back home in Manchester, actually, there was a client that like, kept saying um, WUL. It's like, yeah, you know, in, in the WUL market, I'm like, excuse me, what, 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 is, um, what, what is WUL? And it's like, washing up liquid.
1: <laughs> right. uh, what what is it? Thing. Washing up liquid. Oh, of course.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that goes on all the time. And what you're finding on in, in the sort of business client side of the world is they love a good an acronym and, uh, mm. and it's all code speak. Yeah. And then you've got to, you know, come back and translate that for designers into uh, design speak.
1: Mm. So you talk about like solving, solving the problem. Do you think Australian clients get that? Or do you think they're still looking for... I'm thinking about your Telstra job. Mm -hmm. And I've heard you speak about it before in the sense that they they actually wanted quite a different product from you. And then you ended up taking them into a whole different direction, which...
3: Yeah. I mean, look, I think that this is what branding is a lot of the time. Like there is a difference between branding in the larger sense and and just creating brand identities or corporate identities or, or even just small identities. So in that case, the client came to us, well, we were tacked onto the end of a pitch, right? So the DDB, classically, the ad agency goes in and does the pitch. And then there's some questions come up of going, well, what would it look like? And it becomes, what would advertising templates look like? But the skill, I suppose, at the branding consultancy is to say, well, exactly why are we designing advertising templates for this? Like, mm. We actually need to solve the problem, mm. and so get into the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem isn't an absence of advertising templates. The heart-, <laughs> <laughs> the heart of the problem is that people just didn't quite like them as much as they should, yeah. um, and that being a problem when the NBN rolls out. And you know, it was a real, there was a real um, business problem at heart there, which was which was emotional about you know. If they said, if you we we want to if we say we want to connect, it's how we connect. Um, then let's work on that problem of Mm. connecting with your customers and so they actually never briefed us in the first place to create a new brand for Mm. Telstra we we decided that that was um, what we would do in in the same eight day time frame to design some advertising templates but I think that that's like (laughs) that's the that's the bit in branding that I I get so excited about is just being able to sort of Open someone's eyes to a possible a possible yeah. future for them, because uh, people just get blinkered mm. into the thing that they're in. Um, and you know, I was a I was a young creative director when when I did Telstra, naively headed into thinking I could uh, transform the the country's biggest brand with a six colour identity. Yeah. And <laughs> what the hell,
2: we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? It was the kind of attitude. Um, so Two uh, questions about that. Yeah. <laughs> so that so that came through strategy originally with. DDB. So was there any friction between the two when yeah. you essentially did what some you advertising <laughs> templates cuz you, you <laughs> did you did you or oh, and my follow-up question to that is that um did you do both briefs did you do the one that you wanted to do that you knew was right and also the advertising templates or did you just yeah, go and know so <laughs> so did. Oh, yeah you did <laughs> you got the junior to do the
3: advertising templates how did this how did this one work so it was pretty much over to you guys DDB said you know like do do the thing they've asked for. Like they they were feeling pretty good about the the work that they had presented. It was good work, and um, and they were they were in the front. And um, it was just uh, it was just us us to lose, I suppose. Um, but we um, I think we got the hint quite, quite strongly that this would be the clincher because the the client is actually a fellow called Mark Collis, who's a good friend of mine now, um, who's an ex ECD of Ogilvy in Japan, and he was looking to make his mark. So. Hmm. We knew that to do something timid wasn't going to win, Yeah. firstly, on a kind of winning tactics kind of thing. Um, but also, every time we sat down with this bloody blue and orange identity, you couldn't <laughs> make it look any good. Um, and so, actually, I've been playing around with this thought for a while that is um, their actual problem, Telstra's actual problem, was that they, the amount of people they had to talk to ranged from teenage kids all the way up to the government mm. and families and small businesses and a whole load of, you know, everyone mm. like, literally is who they had to talk to and they were trying to talk to every one of them in the same tone blue right. and orange, corporate blue and orange and lo and behold it didn't work you couldn't, you couldn't engage you couldn't connect with all of those audiences that way, so the solution kind of came about, is like how can it be a little bit more nimble how can it be a bit more emotionally adaptable and colour became a really cool analogy for that, um, and particularly Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon album cover with the, uh, with the, the spectrum <laughs> uh, split hmm. um, became the visual metaphor, I suppose, for one company, the white light that can split itself into all these colours depending on who it's talking to, what it's talking to about, so it could be outrageously pink if we needed to sell a brand new pink LG phone to teenage girls, or it could be conservatively blue if that was appropriate to a business market. And that was about as sophisticated as, um, as the thinking got. Um, although I did chuck in a few Bono slides. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bono said this great, this, it's pretty much the, the final slide of the setup, which said, um, he said that in an interview, I remember from years back, he said that too many, too many uh, bands have, two tones right? their fast song and their slow song Right. You know, yeah. I use Oasis as the metaphor for that they've got you know crashing guitars yeah. uh, morning glory on one side and then slow it down with a bit of Wonderwall and then keeps the guitar <laughs> on the other and that's that's two tones right? yeah. but Telstra had one hmm. and he said they don't write two tones and you two they write all the colours I thought what a beautiful metaphor for human feeling I suppose hmm. that it isn't being a human isn't binary, happy or sad. Like mm. there's so much more colour to to our emotions. So, um, so yeah, that was the idea, and we presented it to them, and it felt Telstra, although this, you know, future-focused Telstra, mm. and they loved it.
1: And when when it actually got officially launched, it went wild on on the web, and and That's just right. yeah, I think everyone really, especially Australians, that had always had the blue and orange, and always not liked the blue and orange, I think, and. Because I think it originally came from that they wanted to make the um, the telephone boxes so you could see them in a city street. Uh, that's why they, they had the orange tops. Oh, and we don't right. really have don't really have telephone boxes anymore.
3: Well, we so. we, we do. They're Wi-Fi, right? Into Wi-Fi, <laughs> right? But the, uh, yeah. Yeah, but there's there's hundreds of thousands of these things all over the place. Yeah. Um, and you, you can trace back Australian movies way way back to the 50s, and they're the same ones. Yeah, uh, that's, like, that's, that's like swapping all of your infrastructure out, and I, I don't, you
2: know, I don't think that's quite happened yet. But mm. one day, maybe, <laughs> we can hope.
1: There'll, there'll be antiques. You can buy them in an antique store.
2: Uh, they'll they'll come back, and we'll be thinking. I can't believe we, you know, my my parents used to carry their phones around in their pocket. Mm. We just go up to uh, to this cool booth and just use it whenever I need it. (laughs) It's like a co-share. It's like Uber for phones.
1: You've just, you've created a whole new market. (laughs) So that was an interbrand. Now you've moved over to Re and you're working on their competitor.
3: That's right. Optus.
1: Are you allowed to talk? (laughs) What was that? Are you allowed to talk about it at all?
3: <laughs> just, just try to tread carefully. <laughs> uh, I am under strict NDAs, but um, what I can tell you is um, we, um, the f- I didn't know this when I took the job here at RE, but my first project was to, re- the, to do the re pitch for the business, for the whole of MC Saatchi Group. So uh, that was a big deal. Wow! To make sure that. Uh, <laughs> Welcome, Chris. <laughs> and you know, not um, not everything there is um, is official, but we're we're hopeful that we are uh, going to get appointed that work. Uh, but in the meantime, we continue to do business as usual work, um, which is which is interesting. I've never been quite so close to advertising as I have here. Like M and C and we are. Very integrated I think what, what was different at Interbrand was Interbrand had quite a fair amount of separation from DDB um, whereas here I do actually answer into the chief creative officer right um, but just the way that just the way that global but well, re is not a global company for starters it's an M&MC company whereas Interbrand is a, a licensed all yep. um, Omnicom but but it's, um, it's quite a separate entity. So it's licensed in Australia by DDB, which kind of means that it comes with its own processes and executive leadership teams and all that sort of stuff. Yep. But here, and I think that this is one of the things that I'm, yeah, I'm quite excited. My, my career is taking a natural meander into advertising, although, you know, not not strictly, I'm, I'm not writing ads, but I am with the guys that are forming the brands together. And do you know what? what what was always a frustration, um, and, I, and I imagine this goes on all over the world, is that you create a brand and a brand identity, and you set that up, and you hand that over to an ad creative, and they go, that limits me, and <laughs> right. therefore I'm going to take your logo and your colours and your typeface and do my thing now.
1: Right. Yeah. You
3: know, that happens a lot and it's mm. and it's disappointing, you know, like what I, I kind of joke um semi-seriously that um <laughs> whereby advertising agencies own brand consultancies currently the, the polarity shift hopefully will one day happen where branding consultancies are own advertising agencies because we are creating brands and then off the back of that we're creating comms and we're mm. creating Products and services, and all other manner of uh, touch points that that brand has to make. So, um, what's amazing here is that we're actually cracking these problems together. So, um, when we're doing the pitch work for Optus, we were all rolled up sleeves in the room together, creating one brand. And therefore, mm. if that's the word that hits market, it will all be threaded together as one big concept, rather than a baton passing exercise where someone has the nose out of joint because it's not what they want to do. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's so, got ownership of that exactly. of that idea as well. Yeah. Mm. So what that means mm. as a as a as a branding creative director is all of their budgets just became available.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah,
3: right. We're we're not just doing the the graphic design bit at the end, but we're mm. actually creating co creating this brand together. Um, and I think that's only going to lead to more powerful work.
1: With the graphic design thing, though, and you sort of said you know, graphic design tacked on the end, um, I've also heard you talk about that graphic design is, is not a great term for, for what it is that we, we do. Can you talk more about yeah, that? Yeah,
3: sure. So like, IDEO called um, C- coined the term T-shaped people which is something yeah. that like, really resonated with me um, for the benefit of those that don't know a T-shaped person is someone with a few disciplines that they're interested in or uh, areas of interest let's call them and they form the top of the T and then a deep expertise in one of those things and and actually increasingly I think T-shaped people is becoming pie shaped as in the, the mathematical symbol where right. there's two deep specialities um, but The reason why I like that idea is because you put a load of those t-shaped, pie-shaped people in a room together and they talk about more than graphic design. Mm -hmm. So When you're actually solving problems, you don't want to talk about graphic design solutions because your answer is going to come from graphic design, whereas it might come from somewhere completely different. The answer might not even be a design. It might be a business model, it might be language, it might be whatever. So, therefore, I don't like to put a load of graphic designers together. Like, I need graphic designers, and graphic design is is a core is is a core piece of what we do when we're creating brand identities, type system, all of that sort of stuff. We need them, but we also need people that can design think and solve problems mm. and business problems. And you know, you know, some people might call them well, they're the strategists. It's like, well, yes, but. We work together with those people, and they have—they're at the same table when we're solving the big problem together. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I'm look—I'm always on the lookout for people that can write, people that can do motion, particularly. I wish there were more
2: people that would do motion for branding. Uh, who is there there's Mike Tassetto and yeah and And that's the only one I know (laughs) yeah Yeah, these guys
3: have really cornered the market (laughs)
2: Um,
3: if there's any students out there doing digital design degrees I would encourage you to look at um, uh, at at some of the amazing brand work that's got motion at its heart you know that's Mm. actually how I I would prefer to design Mm. brand identities motion first because you know brands well a lot of designs exist on screens before they get to paper nowadays yep. to the sort of epic dismay of many designers out there the paper sniffers of the world uh, <laughs> but I think that that's a really cool opportunity and, and emotion creeps in when you've got motion mm. sound, vision, story it's just it, it, it stirs up stronger feelings than a nice 24 page brochure I mm. think
2: yeah.
3: um, but the, the difficulty is, is that Motion designers want to be motion designers as in want to work at animal logic or
1: yeah, yeah.
3: or the like but i 've recently become obsessed with um, Gino Gretel in New York I think that're super cool yeah. and they do a lot of ch- channel branding um, incredibly um, incredibly dynamic i i 'm trying to figure out how they 're doing this, but it 's like here 's a strategic problem to solve, right? and then somehow it turns into a motion mechanic and it 's just um, you know, the, the the quality of the craft and the typography and the thinking are all there. So it's not it's not motion technicians doing this on their own. It's this, mm. there's, a, there's a magic formula going on, and that's where I go. Okay, if I put a load of graphic designers together, they'll never get there. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a it's a richer it's a richer thing that we're creating now. Like I think that we're further upstream in the creation of our clients' products. Even you know, it's not about here's our here's our crappy thing we made. Yeah. Um, can you put a nice box around it yeah. it's more about we're trying to solve this problem for our customers can you help us make a product yep. uh, that's happening more and more so that kind of makes 100% pure graphic designers less and less relevant in, in, in my field mm. like don't get me wrong like, I'm, I'm a graphic design junkie and um, and I love it um, and there's a place for pure bread graphic designers but I think that it's just another part of the conversation which is if you want to be a creative person like someone that's solving problems like the actual true definition of what design is for to make things better for people then i think that it's a narrow lens to look through graphic design
1: only mm. do you think that is a problem that australia has more than other countries or do you think that's a worldwide problem
3: yeah i don't know i think a lot of great
2: australian designers are in other countries <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a that's a whole other set of problems isn't it yeah,
3: yeah. um but it's—I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if the idea of design as problem-solving is particularly prevalent in Australia. Mm-hmm. I think that design can be con- construed as making things prettier. To be truthful, a lot of the time, and I think a lot of a lot of studios amplify that that idea as well. I see it as my job as 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 kind of um, a brand designer to try and highlight. And I've, and I've certainly tried within within the unis to try and get people excited about this idea. That it's not even just identity. It's not about putting nice graphics around a an individual, but it's actually design thinking and how to actually think through a problem from empathy all the way through to prototyping and is this solving our problem? It's just a very different mindset to, mm. does this represent the thing I'm trying to do? And, there's a borderline there between art and design, I think, where I think a lot, of, a lot of designers want to be graphic designers and they want to be self-expressive graphic designers, uh, which is just completely opposite end of the scale to what I do.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. But whether it's a, an Australian problem or not, I don't know. Um, I do know that branding across the world is is completely misunderstood. Mm-hmm. We were touching on it earlier, weren't we, when to say... Uh, yeah, like the definition of branding, what is it? Is it to solve problems? Is it to represent an organisation? Is it is it is it the new soap bottle? You know, what what is branding? Mm. And is you know, it, even within the pages of D and annual, an ad is branding. Yeah, yeah. Which of course, you know, if you take that kind of macro view of what it is, yeah, it's all making stuff for brands, but
2: mm. It doesn't. maybe it needs subdividing in that category as well into like brand identity, brand expression, you know. And, yeah, and then you get the next generation that come through and they, they say, oh, it's all, it's all too complicated. Let's just call it all branding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's either good or it's not. Yeah. Let's keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> we, start, we start going around in circles all the time. Or, or, or they make it even more complex.
1: Because I think, yeah. you know... The they don't D- break it down even more. D- yeah. DNA D&AD is, is a pretty complex award kind of as, as far as their categories go now. It's... Mm. Um,
3: what really shits me is when um, non-brand specialists are judging branding. Right. And that's what. There is no, there is no understanding of quite what is required to turn the country's biggest telco around, for instance. Mm. And whether you like the, you know, the quality of the kerning or not, is kind of irrelevant to the thing that's being judged against.
1: Yeah.
3: Mm. Um, it's funny. The number one blog I mentioned earlier, brand new for branding across the world, guys mm. are you familiar with, yeah? Yep. Um, is, um, you know, perpetuates the problem again. Like, no one's talking about, did this solve the problem for anyone? I
2: always find, yeah, brand you're really interesting because, of course, you, you, you skim through it and you make up your own mind and then you read the comments and often, they, you know, they're not talking, they, they don't know the whole backstory to the project, right? Mm-hmm. So, they don't know what the client was often asking. They don't often know what sort of circumstances the the brief was done in. Whether it was a pitch. Whether this is work that's already gone yeah, out. It and all gets like that.
3: accredited to the designer. Yeah. You know, like the the the. And there's this argument of, well, you know, you should have convinced the client to do it your way. Blah blah blah. It's like, have you ever seen, have you ever been in a boardroom? <laughs> yeah. Right, <do> you know. <laughs> like and sometimes decisions are made at a very high level that you're not part of. And mm, mm. and and. and, and and there's this is misconception that you know we get months to do these things, but it's quite often we crack the thing in a in a, in a couple of weeks. You know, quite yeah. often. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Does does that speak to a larger problem with awards? Awards are basically comparing things, aren't they?
3: Yeah. I mean, like what we were just talking about, like the, the, the brand new community, for instance, and, and, and the commentaries. It's it's all a graphic design discussion. Mm-hmm. It is. It's not. It's not about. You know, when we did Alzheimer's, the, you know, I was pleased with the brand identity system. I was more pleased with the $500 million we raised for that organization, mm. the change in the law, and then the change in sort of passion f- um, and direction for what the organization was there to do. That's what I f- that's what I, that was the brief I answered. Mm. And it happened to pick up some nice design awards as well. Those things just don't get talked about. Mm-hmm. But that was the day, that was the, the, the most memorable day in my career where I got to go home that day feeling like a pretty good designer. Mm. You know, genuinely, like, someone threw a real problem at us and we solved it.
2: Mm. You know, Mm. we
3: we didn't cure Alzheimer's, but we solved their problem, so hopefully they can.
2: So, I don't think I've ever had the chance to talk to you about the Alzheimer's one, because I I loved it. I thought it was great. And I thought one of the more interesting decisions that that was made throughout that was to limit the palate, which we just spoke about a little bit. This is almost the other side of the coin, which is kind of interesting in itself. Um, And also limiting... I don't know if this this was... um, in every aspect, but it, if I remember it correctly, there was um, a sort of left and right, almost black and white. And it was sort of you limited yourself for the whoever was in charge of the brand down to just four words, Yeah, is that
3: right? And two of them would be Alzheimer's Australia.
2: Right, yeah, so what was what was the thought process behind kind of putting those walls up to? Yeah,
3: sure, sure, so, um, well, I'll take the color one for starters, mm. yep. um, I, I seem to think that we'd done Telstra before we'd done Alzheimer's in the chronology of things, and the studio was a buzz about colour. You know, like, you know it's the digital age. You know, we, we don't need to own a colour. like we've just proven
2: it. You blew the budget on the Telstra one, so you had to limit your palette a little bit. You only had enough all for that, two
3: buckets of paint. All that Cmyk printing. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, so yeah, like. We we, we were kind of, I think we got famous as a studio for doing everything in colour and maybe this time we decided not to but there was some there were some real good reasons for that and mm. that is um, we <clears throat> excuse me we wanted that brand to be an active brand almost like a, a power to the people activist um, movement mm. against this thing that we personified called Alzheimer's. So, we, we, you know, there, there was this idea that Australians love a common enemy, so let's make an enemy of Alzheimer's. Mm. When we said fight Alzheimer's, we mean that guy, that guy that's actually going to be Australia's biggest killer in the year 2030.
2: Mm.
3: So with this idea of we want to start a revolution, we want to start a movement, we also sort of had this idea of an army of protesters. Mm. You know, and you want those to be all wearing the same colour. You know, breast cancer awareness... Works mm. because it's always pink, right? If yeah. it was sometimes green and sometimes <laughs> orange, then it kind of yeah. loses its power. Yeah. So I think, I think with charity branding, it's a great idea to sort of hook that colour towards the, uh, um, towards the organisation. Like t- every every decision we make comes with a rationale. Like we we, we don't really go, Like we did a colourful one last time. Let's do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure.
3: Yeah. What's gonna What's gonna fix this? What's gonna solve the problem? And we chose teal because it was, um, you know, there was there was some empty space on the colour wheel from the mm. charity market. So there's some some logical um, decisions get made as well mm. as um, conceptual. But um, but yeah, that was the reason for colour, um, around the typography. So when we were trying to grapple with the idea like in the old handy moleskin there I just, sometimes if I'm stuck I just, um, I like to, like to write I just kind of just sort of automatic write with myself about what's the problem we're trying to solve what, what what's the client thinking what am I thinking what where are we going wrong, why am I stuck and it just kind of helps me liberate my thinking a little yeah. bit so I started doing that and started getting into this sort of tone of voice which was very kind of fist in the air um, let's let 's take down this disease once and for all, mm-hmm. and the final two words that I wrote in that thing were um, let 's fight alzheimer's and save australia and there jumped off the page was the idea fight alzheimer's save Australia and then since us alzheimer 's in Australia were in there, then that kind of nicely worked and then it started to started to become apparent that we couldn 't use that kind of tonality all the time
2: mm.
3: and because Those are some pretty aggressive words for an organisation that is used to sort of pushing things under the carpet. The reason why Alzheimer's was in so much trouble was because it's just not something people talk about. Mm. You know, it's just granddad getting old, don't talk about it, don't worry about it. And people are therefore in the dark. And So the biggest problems with this disease, and this is what... uh, our strategy was was to sort of shine light on this problem and be loud and proud about it, and to change completely change that tone from something very timid into something very um, forthright and and you know almost pissed off. You know, mm. This thing is this yeah. thing is robbing people of their lives and we don't know anything about it. And what's more, the government's not even funding it. Mm. Um, so. This, this tone felt completely right. However, when you're talking to um, families that are, that are looking after people with Alzheimer's or you're talking to carers or you're the whole, a whole gamut of people that you want to be a little bit more gentle around. And so we started to introduce um, other ones, such as Understand Alzheimer's, Educate Australia. Mm. Um, one of my favourites was um, Be Alzheimer's, Tweet Australia. Something like that. Um, yeah, we, so we 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 wrote loads and loads and loads of them, and what we found in there was that we could actually set up this construct, which was um, a call to arms, almost. You know, like so, it identifies the villain, yeah. Alzheimer's disease, identifies the hero, Australia, if we get this right, and then um, and then suggests a, a, a call to action to actually join this fight. Um, but we could do that without using those two words all the time, so the identity becomes dynamic mm. in that respect. And allows them to keep reinventing those and evolve
2: the thing as it goes, which works out quite nicely. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's it's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? We haven't spoken about too much, but kind of you've created this this kit, this thought, you know, internal things, external thing. Um, How I guess how well have you seen years on like Telstra years on Alzheimer's Australia years on, like maintain that vision? Like, is that, is that a particularly challenging thing? Like, at what point do you sort of yeah, yeah, wipe yeah. your hands and go, well, that was pretty good, put okay, that in my so. book and move on? Or is there like a weaning process? Or what happens with the whole thing?
3: Yeah, good question. Good question. So, I believe that brands should be built to evolve.
2: Okay, so, there's, right. there's
3: corporate identity is a uniform, brand identity is an entity. Or brand, I should say, is an entity. So, the the identity of that entity, think about yourself, right? Mm. So, yeah, you can put on your school uniform every day and that never changes and what have you like, but you yourself, the person um, you interact with people and that's what brands do mm. so the mistake that I think a lot of um, brand designers do is that they, they fall into corporate identity which is a static thing right? you, mm. you build it appropriate for the problem of the day the aesthetics of the day the taste of the day and then in five years time you have to put it in the bin and do it again and that's just bad business, quite frankly. Mm. So um, so we always try and design brands to evolve, and that means kind of keeping some things flexible. Some things that actually you relinquish a bit of control about. Some things are going to be core and have long timelines, and some things are going to be um, a little bit more free and evolve with the, with the culture around them and the needs of the day. David Bowie is a great example of that. So when you, when you sort of set up a brand to evolve and... Um, you, you have to sort of take into consideration what's you know what what's gonna what's gonna change. Um, with a brand like Telstra, we had the the privilege of managing that brand daily. You know that that thing is mo- that brand lives. Mm. It actually lives in the real world. Um, it's getting direct feedback from customers from sales mm. minute to minute, so you can. Calibrate this and fine-tune it. And the skill is to do it in a way that a customer never sees, but it's definitely evolving, a bit like a, a the hour hand on a clock. You know, it's 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 changing. And what you may or may not know is that from 2011 to 2015, that brand has actually gone through two major refreshes. Um, right. But they would have been invisible. Yeah. Right, right. So we didn't start with gradients, for instance, and um, that you go and do a Google search for Telstra and you'll see slightly different articulation of that identity system to today right. um, and that's because it's changed as the company's strategic direction has, has meandered as well um, and then with a brand like Alzheimer's they, um, yeah, they, they have personnel changes and they forget they mm. do end up with a set of assets and a quirky little logo that's got loads of inconvenient mm. versions that you have to manage um, and so not too long ago I went in there and um, and help them remember what the purpose of that identity system was and what the tonality was and, and how they should be using it. Um, I'd much prefer to do the um, the sort of management and evolution of brands because I think there's this misconception of once you deliver the guidelines, yep. mm. your job here is done. Yep. Mm. But that's like saying once you've given birth to a child, it's done as well, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Which
1: uh, I'm sure isn't the case. Um, is, it, is that hard for clients to understand though? Because that's you know that's that's got a different thing for them. They're paid the money. It's kind of like isn't it's it's all ours now. we can do whatever we want with it
3: yeah no I definitely um I definitely have had like this is a battle between um you know automate my brand mm-hmm. as in I don't want to think about it at all. I just want to <laughs> plug in the numbers and it spits out graphics yeah <laughs> um, versus um versus a living breathing textual entity, you know like quote Nike a lot of the time it's mm-hmm. one of these brands that you know th- if you think of, oh, what's Nike's identity so we definitely know about the swoosh what's the color palette what's the imagery style what's the what's the typography yeah okay so you see a lot of future in the stores but you look at their mm-hmm. their campaigns it changes all the time mm-hmm. so this is a this is a brand that literally moves and reinvents itself at the speed of culture the speed that the world is. And you think about how nimble that brand has to be. Mm. It has to target the subculture of the country, of the sport they're talking about today. Mm. And that's gonna be different next week. So it couldn't possibly do that with a locked down corporate identity system yep. because it just would fail to remain relevant. Mm. So it actually moves campaign by campaign, like it's and you can't guideline that except through principle. And you actually rely on just bloody good professional brand managers, and mm. who, who are using the right people and the right strategic thinking. I think pretty much Nike just um, employ good quality
1: studios
3: mm. all over the world, and they're always out for the the next bleeding edge person to do to do fantastic work for them.
1: I guess uh, yeah, and if you think about other like Reebok, for example, they they had a much more what felt like a lot more locked down
2: kind of brand. And and they're not really around anymore. So They haven't really evolved. So I grew up thinking Nike was really cool and Reebok was really not cool. And Reebok was cool one day, one when ma- they
3: did the pumps.
2: <laughs> yeah. Many many years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah. Take your word for it. You either it.
3: had a pump or you had yeah.
1: Yeah, pump was much more interactive. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that
3: isn't. I think that's a really fascinating point and something I talk about an awful lot is mm. built setting up brands so that they have room to move. And not, um, and not get tired of themselves. One, one really, you know, if, you, if you don't find this too boring, one, one really useful tip that I have for people is to set, set up a brand in a modular sense, so with subsystems. So you might have a literature system, a digital system, a, um, um, a retail system, all these different systems that you can individually swap out and replace Mm. incrementally so it's almost like you're swapping out the trousers the t-shirt the baseball cap the shoes but you don't do it all at once and therefore
1: um it evolves naturally yeah yeah Mm. yeah that makes perfect sense
3: and also to have a um to have an idea at the start which is going to last which is going to be timeless Mm. so um so you can keep returning back to that core idea and and some principles around that idea and um and always come back to that so that that has a consistent long timeline to it and the graphic design elements and motion what have you are changing underneath it
2: when you're talking about those bits changing what are you talking about specifically like what's an example like in the retail space would it be like you'd change the entire retail space at some stage while everything else stays consistent so it's not
3: if i said retail system i was in that instance referring to how um, telstra for instance might sell a load of offers Right. You know, like the, the offer led, which is which is the majority of the comms that they put out into market is this is the plan, this is the phone, this yeah. is the new phone feeling, whatever. Hmm. Um, so how they sell that stuff has gone under massive revisions since we ever started. Right, you, you, you'd be blind to it, but it gets optimised and optimised and optimised hmm. by in market testing. So we go, you know, is this is this a better way? Will people understand this offer? Mm. better and um, and yeah I think we, we got to a place with Telstra where we're pretty pleased with the final outcome of that um, but that would be an example where that system there is, is, is kind of unrelated to how we well actually that's not true so I was going to say how, how we do digital for instance but they actually evolved together in that instance mm. um, but the literature for instance um, that that's stayed the same for a while and um, it's just about hot swapping these systems as they go. But the whole, the whole theme would want to feel like it's got something out of joints. It all, it, it all goes together. Mm.
1: Mm. So you're six months in, yeah. into the new role. What's, have you noticed any major differences? The culture's different here.
3: I was upset with DDB that they didn't put enough
1: beer in the fridge. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and that has been rectified here.
1: But you are, you're sitting here with a green green smoothie yeah i
3: drink juices now <laughs> so you finally <laughs> got what you wanted and now you've <laughs> i don't know bloody australia it's like everyone's drinking green juice and sort of <laughs> got the whole jar whole jar thing going along mm. yeah, exactly um no it is it is culturally it's great here um i wish the building had more meeting rooms everyone does but um like working rooms
2: even places that we can pin stuff up all over the world are you guys in an open kind of plan situation
3: yeah we are upstairs yep. and um, we get to look out into the harbor every day which is kind of nice it's very it's nice like, it's yep. the, the uh, local Turkish uh, shop which was the case uh, the lovely Turkish shop I used to eat there every day <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know you get cruise liners out the window here um, yeah it's it, it's it's a, it's a vibing place it's alive um, everyone even there's 400 people here. So, oh wow yeah never, not everyone knows everyone but it kind of keeps it exciting and I've mm. heard that the Christmas parties go off so I'm not going
2: it. <laughs> yeah, there you go I'm just sure they'll have the, be, the beer yeah. stocks for that one
3: yeah. Yeah, people are so excited about
2: it oh wow <laughs> Jesus
3: <laughs> actually next um, next January um, sorry incoming January we um, we're having our 21st birthday party for MSC Saatchi so that's gonna be wow that, that'll cool. be huge that's gonna yeah that's gonna be a hangover day I think yeah 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 company-wide no one's no one's gonna work yeah. on Monday wow, um, and uh, up at Rhi we're doing the um, 21st anniversary book so 21 years of MSC Saatchi group wow. so that should be fun yeah
1: so we've been yeah. talking all about motion and you know everything but you're doing a book so for that you're
3: well actually one of my senior designers is doing it <laughs> but, uh, that's, but I know where you're driving there Matt where you're driving um <laughs> I don't know, like there's there's an element of um, you still like nice things. Yeah. Like like I have all of these, uh, you know, philosophies about we should be doing digital first, print second. But at the end of the day, there is something nice about picking up an artifact, a nicely printed book. Hmm. I don't think that will ever go away. Like that's, we are tactile beings, but I think it's also worth looking at... the pros and cons of of those things in each case. Like a book is perfect for a twenty first birthday, mm. whereas a book ain't so great for a limited edition run to get your message out to population of Australia. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, um, and the, you know, the, the the dynamic nature of film, animation, music, video is is something that gets me really excited. I, you know, I think in a in a previous life, I um, I would have liked to, if, it, if I hadn't have been doing this, I would have liked to have got into film a lot more. Um, yeah, it's just something that's really like, I suppose with branding, we call, we call ourselves storytellers, and Stefan Sagmeister gets pretty shitty with that idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but in branding, we kind of are storytellers. We f- we we make up, we we pull them out of the air a lot of the time. It's like mm. an emotional story about why you should care about this. Thing that m- no one naturally should care about really, but we, we attach emotion to these things that, um, that, that are part of our lives um, and that to me is means you have to use film you have to use motion hmm. you have to sort of and, and I, th- I think that I think emotion is a shortcut to the soul I think it's the mm-hmm. quickest way to invoke an emotion in someone um, with the, with the right storytelling the right sound the right the right video right cinematography it's really powerful and i think that that's 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 a much more interesting place um, to produce branding through that lens than a stationary set quite frankly and a you know a a nicely printed comp slip that's that's easy (laughs) that is really easy to draw a logo and slap it on a dozen things is it's child's play Mm. um Actually, changing someone's behaviour and getting them to think differently and getting them to to look at the world through the lens that you designed for them. But I think that's a completely different ball game and one that I actually get off on. <laughs> that might be a good one to
1: go out on. I think that's a great one
2: to go. Out on. <laughs> <Quotes>. <laughs> yeah, quite the end of that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. um, thanks, Chris. No worries. Thanks for your time. Um, so something that we do now is we just kind of go around the table so people can kind of find find everyone. Um, so Matt, where can people find you? Twitter at Leechworth. Leechworth. You're on Twitter as well, aren't you, Chris? Yep.
3: Yeah, you can find me at Chris two hundred. Um, mm-hmm. That's M A C.
2: M A C. Cool. And we'll put like it the in like toothpaste. Like the toothpaste. Perfect.
3: Yeah. Um, and also my website chrismaclean.co.uk where you can. Keep up to
2: date with my comings and goings. Cool. And your photography. We didn't even talk about the photography. No, we didn't. This 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 list goes on for a while, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we'll put all that in the show notes as well. You can find me at Flynn Tracy on pretty much everything, and you can find this episode and more at Australian Design Radio Simplecast FM, and you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Aus Design Radio. Until then, thanks for listening to Australian Design Radio. Thanks, Thank guys. you.